Hello everybody, this is Vit and welcome to another episode of the Success Inspired Podcast. Today's episode is packed with tons of wisdom, personal stories and great analogies into both personal development and business success. My guest today is an executive coach, an advisor and keeper of secrets who guides and offers another point of view to help people see a new perspective. At the age of 56, he began competing in Ironman triathlons. As a six-time finisher, he knows tons about overcoming adversity. He believes age is just a number, there is no expiration date on dreams, and anything really is possible. Please welcome to the show, Michael Bryant. Thanks a lot for having me, Vid. Thanks, Michael. Great to have you here. How has your Saturday been so far? So good. So far, so good. Yes, it's 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 warm here today. We're 85 Fahrenheit, so it's warm. So I got at, so, got in an early run this morning. Got in an early now, run. You're in Baltimore, right? Yes, Baltimore, right? Yeah, right, out, right outside of DC. Yeah, not far from Washington. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I'm over here in Canberra. It's crazy how, uh, you know, there's no limits in the world now. We can connect Isn't to anybody it? and have a chat with people. It's great. Isn't it amazing how we can do that now? The technology is so great now. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Right. So tell me, you know, what, what inspired you to do? I mean, at the, at the end, of, you know, it's not not typical thing that people do, you know, when they get to 56 years old to suddenly decide to start doing triathlons, you know, if anything, yes. they might be, you know, sort of chilling and reading their newspapers, you know. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. I will so. I, I kind of like to think my life has been sort of atypical. So this is just one, you know, it's funny because um, 40 years ago when I started the business, my goal was not um, to have a successful career, it was to have an effective life. And so I certainly wanted uh, a successful career to be part of that, but I really wanted to have um, a really interesting kind of life. And, and one of the things that I, that I do is, is I'm in the business of working with people uh, when they're stuck in one part of their life or another. It, it, it could be leading people, it could be communicating well, it could be a personal part of their life, it could just be their confidence. And I ask people to stretch mm. and really sort of jump outside of their comfort zone because what happens is as we age developmentally, we become more risk averse. We become less willing to try new things. We become sort of enamored with this sort of never, um, never ending and always decreasing comfort zone. We want to do things in the same way with the same people. And so, you know, I thought that since I was asking people to stretch, that it was really important that I sort of keep myself honest. So I decided that I would do one thing a year that would have two criteria. One is that it would be very exciting. The second is it would scare me out of my mind. And I thought, well, that'll, that'll make me jump out of my comfort zone and that'll get me to stretch. Because the deal seems to be no risk, no growth. So if you want to grow as a human being, you're going to have to take risk and do things that might initially seem uncomfortable. So I had done things like, you know, one year I decided to walk on hot coals. I thought, well, that could be pretty terrifying. You know, and another year I decided to uh, repair a relationship. That was kind of scary to do. And mm. so, so um, 
I had a background in um, athletics. I was a high school and collegiate wrestler. And, you know, when you finish that sport, there's not much you can do with it. You can't have like a pickup wrestling match or something. I mean, it doesn't lend itself to that. So the only thing I could do when I wasn't wrestling that I could do when I was wrestling is I could run because I, 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 had, to, I had to run to lose weight. And so I became a runner. Well, um, in, in 1985, uh, triathlons had just begun in the late 70s in California. And the only, iron, uh, only triathlon I'd ever heard of was Ironman in Hawaii. And of course, I wasn't going to do that because that was for insane people. I just couldn't even fathom what these people were doing. And so what happened was, um, I was I was at a friend's house and her friend was a race director. And she said, have you ever thought about doing a triathlon? Because she was going to be a race director for a local race that was coming to Baltimore. And the only triathlon I'd ever heard of was Ironman. And I said, no, I've never thought of doing one and I never will. She said, no, no, there's, there are different distances. This is an Olympic distance. It's a one mile swim and a 25 mile bike and, a, and then a, a 10 kilometer run. And she said, you know, can you swim? And I said, yes, I can swim. Do you have a bike? I said, yeah, with 35 pound 10 speed in my basement that I never ride. She said, well, that's a bike. And she said, and can you run? I said, I am a runner. So I said, well, how many days do you have to finish this? She said, no, you do it all at one time. And I said, I'll die. She said, you won't die. And so I, I did the race. I didn't die. I got hooked on these shorter distances. And for about seven years, I did triathlons. But then the series left town and there weren't a lot of races. So it stopped. So I figured, mm. you know what? That was interesting. That's, that'll be the chapter in my life. I'm going to go back to running, work my way up to marathon distance. Meanwhile, my wife is from uh, New York State. Her family in the summers had a farmhouse up in the Adirondack Mountains in New York. Um, Lake Placid, where the home of two Winter Olympics, was, is near where she uh, spent the summers. I meet my wife. I fall in love with the Adirondacks about, oh, 15, 18 years ago. Um, we buy a house up there, a vacation home. And I just want to be part of the community now and sort of be involved in things. Iron Man has now expanded. I'm not doing Iron Man, but it's expanded. So I'll help out. So one of the things you do when you help out is you go in for the last two hours of the race. It's a 17-hour day. The last two hours, the finishing is just extraordinary. These are people that you see walking down the street. These do not look like people that have the physical ability to do something like this. And I was just blown away by this. And I'm not the kind of person that likes to watch. Like, I don't like parades because I don't like to watch. I like to do. I looked at this thing and I said, I'm I'm doing this. I am going to do one of these things. And so what got me started was really this desire that I wanted to have the experience. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be in that parade. I wanted to be one of those people because they just were in this incredibly joyful state, you know, that I, you know, you just don't see adults very often with that sense of just joyfulness coming across that finish line. I said, I want some of that. So that's what really got me started. And that was the full. That was the full Ironman triathlon. That was that was the full. Little did I know the life lessons that would come out of this thing that I was not prepared. I I I'd signed up for the 2006 Ironman. I'm going to be. I'll turn 56 at that time. And 2006, I was going to be 56. So the summer before, at 55, I thought, you know, 
you need to be in probably start getting in like real shape because the mm -hmm. kind of shape you have to be on for this thing, I can't fathom it, but it'd be way beyond anything I've prepared for. So we're in Lake Placid. The lake where the race is going to be held is the lake we go to all the time. And I said, well, I'm going to go out and do what's called a loop. It's a, a, a 1.2 mile rectangular course. They call them a loop. There's two of those. You do 2.4 miles. So I said, well, I'll go do 1.2 miles. I, I can swim that. It's not a very, not a very um, good day for, for being on the beach. It's kind of overcast and cloudy. You know, I put on my wetsuit into the water I go. I'm swimming, and of course I'm wet. All of a sudden, I notice I'm wetter, and I look up, and it's raining. Well, I don't care, you know. So I'm in the water; it's raining. I'm wet already. Then, as I swim a little more, I notice that it's really getting wet. I look up, and it's a torrential downpour. I can. I'm in the middle of the lake. It's a pretty good sized lake. I'm in the middle of the lake. I can see off in the distance the town, and people are sort of scurrying to try to get out of the rain. I look up at a mountain range in front of me. I see these very dark clouds starting to come over very, very quickly. I begin to get a little bit concerned. Then I hear thunder. I said, oh, no, this is, uh, no, we're going to need to break this off. That's going to be the end of the swim. As I start to break off to begin to swim to, towards some kind of shore, um, I look at the end of the lake and I see lightning hit the lake. Now I'm getting really concerned. I'm probably no more than another minute into starting my swim. I hear a second crack of lightning. My right cap knots up and then pew, right through the top of my head and out the top of my head it goes. And I said to myself, he just got hit. Lightning just hit the lake and just went right through you. Now, I was in, in high school and college. I was a lifeguard and I managed pools and I was a water safety instructor. So I knew very well that when somebody is in danger in the water, you don't panic, never thinking that I would be the one in danger. Mm. So very quickly, I decided, you know, panic, we're not, we can't do panic. This is, I could still swim. My, my left calf hurt, but I could still swim. And I said, you need to come up with a plan. So I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to swim as, as, as fast as I can. I mean, I'm a, pretty good swimmer, but I can't outrun electricity. I'm not that fast. And so I'm going to swim, then I'm going to stop and I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs for somebody to come get me. I'm going to swim, scream, swim, scream, swim, scream. And one of three things is going to happen. I am either going to make it to the shore. Somebody's going to come rescue me or I'm going to get hit again. And I can't think of much of anything else. So off I go, unbeknownst to me. I mean, I'm the only knucklehead out there, as it turns out. One of the things you know as a water safety instructor is you never go swim alone. But that's, that's another conversation about the <laughs> irony of that. I mean, talk about, but, you know, you kind of are where you are. So you have to deal with the situation as it exists. You know, you, you know what woulda, coulda, shoulda is not going to really get you real far. So unbeknownst to me, um, I'm the only one out there. There was somebody in a metal rowboat had gotten out of that, had the presence of mind. They called 911. Um, there are two young ladies putting away rental boats. They see me and out they come in plastic kayaks, two man kayaks, each one of them. And they're coming out in a hurry. They get to me. Are you okay? Yes. You know, I get in the, in the kayak off. We go to the shore. I get out. I talk to you. Know, I call my wife. How are you? I get hit by lightning. I think I'm okay. Uh, I, I, you know, Very casual you conversation. <laughs> you want to go to the hospital? No, I'm hungry. I have no idea what that's about. I don't know if I, if lightning works up an appetite. I, that's kind of new to me. 
I go in, I change my clothes, I come out, the lake is surrounded, they're looking for me. They didn't see me come out. Somebody uh. they called. So we have the police and the fire department and ambulances and the crowd, and I have to go tap the police on the shoulder to everybody to go home. So I haven't even started a race yet, and that's how, how, how I get going. But you know, when I thought about that, there were some real lessons to take from that and they relate to a lot of things, you know, what's going on right now with the virus. One of the things I learned was that change can happen suddenly. You know, that storm came out of nowhere. You know, this virus came out and no, boom, here it was. I mean, six months ago, who would have thought this? You know, our lives were in one place. But what happens is that when change happens, you have to come up with a plan. Like, what's the plan? I knew I could not stay in a reactive place. That's a lower brain function. That's the primitive part of my brain asking it to solve a problem. So what I did is I got very curious and I got in a problem solving mode. The people that are doing well with this have done that. The people that are having less time are either reacting to it, they're in denial about it, they have all kinds of strategies, but they're not responding to it effectively. And then the next thing I learned was, you know, I needed to ask for help. You know, um, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I got in there and then I had to get out of there. So, you know, I, I didn't ask for it, but there I was. So I needed to basically get myself out of that dilemma. And the last thing I learned was to basically take some lessons from that. So, you know, for a lot of people now, when they, when they see me go out in, in the lake, if there's not at least a little blue sky, I'm not swimming. I mean, it's like, you know, I put my wetsuit on, turn around, come right back out. People say, what are you doing? I said, I got hit by lightning once. I said, okay, I get it. Better you than not me. So there's all kinds, you know, there's lessons that we can learn from these things that happen to us in our lives. And so, you know, I took all those things and I really, I really sort of, I'm not happy for the experience, but I learned from it. And then I think the last thing that I learned from that is, when you're trying to figure out what to do and what you learn from something, it's very important that you're honest with yourself, but not in a judgmental way. I mean, I'm not in the water going, you dummy. I mean, what are you doing in here? I mean, it happened. Now I just have to deal with it. I mean, people can second guess themselves oftentimes, and it's just not a real effective way to deal with solving a problem. It takes enough energy to solve the problem rather than just to take an energy and siphon it off about, well, I should have done this and I could have done that and what would have happened differently. So, you know, mm -hmm. you learn a lot of things from this. Absolutely. And one of the big ones that you said, you know, asking for a lot of times, you know, our ego comes, comes in the way of, you know, yes. asking for help. We think we can do it all and, and we don't ask for help. Right. So much. Yeah. Nothing of importance it's really done along. You know, another quick story, if I may. Um, during Absolutely. My, during, <laughs> more so, stories. Go for it. <laughs> more stories. My stories have stories. So this is before the Ironman. So this is when I was in my marathon phase. So I had just done a marathon with a friend of mine. He was going to do the Chicago Marathon the next year. And he said, do you want to do the marathon? I said, no, I don't want to do the marathon, but I'll train with you. Well, training with somebody for a marathon, is, is that's nothing to fool around with. So we were, this is before we bought the house, and we were staying at a, um, and we had rented a house. Now, the way you got to our house was you would drive down this road, and there was a cow pasture. And you would open the gate, drive through the cow pasture, close the gate, and keep on going. So I decided the first morning we're there, that I'm going to go out for a two hour run. So my wife said, would you like me to drive you out to the road? She offers to help. I said, no, that's okay. I'll just run across the cow pasture. 
Now, you know, cows are kind of stupid, so I wasn't worried about the cow. Unbeknownst to me, in the herd of the cows was the bull of the herd. Now, I don't know if this bull thought I wanted his cow wives or what the deal was, but this bull starts chasing me and I am moving. And this bull is behind me. I get to the fence. I'm probably 30 seconds ahead of this bull because this bull was flying. I get there. As I go to put one foot over the fence, my other foot gets caught in the fence pulls oh, no. the fence away from the post and hyperextends my left leg straight up over the top of my head. I fall down, the bull stops, snorts at me, sort of like, and don't, I want to see you back here again. I get up. This is the beginning of like a two-week vacation. I mean, we're a very active family. You know, we hike, we kayak, we swim, we do all kinds of things. Not me. No, I have to sit there. And I think at the time, our youngest daughter was like three years old and I got to play, you know, Barbie dolls in the blanket or something. I mean, it was because I didn't ask for help. All I needed to do was get a ride across the cow pasture and this thing doesn't happen. So oftentimes we take twice as long to do half as much, not nearly as effective as we could be if we brought somebody in and just gotten another perspective and another point of view. I mean, so many times you look back, I don't think much of anything um, that we really remember in our lives was accomplished alone. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love when people say, I'm a self-made person. Oh, really? You wrote the book that you read? Oh, really? You, you know, I mean, no. If, if you look back on anything you've done of, of, of real significance, somebody was involved somewhere in, 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 that, in that success I would maintain. Well, one of the things I like about, you know, on, on this note is, you know, when, when you do have, you know, people that you work with, when, when you're working as a team, there's a sense of satisfaction that you get to celebrate with others that were part of yes. the journey. Yes, that whole, that whole sense of community that we, we did, like, look what we did, like, look what we accomplished. There is this unique, this unique said that, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts that we you know that we really so we are designed as a species to be in connection we are we are connection actually i mean from the time we existed we were connected to another human being with an umbilical cord we came into existence connected so we don't do really well when we're totally out of connection with other people. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't work really well. I was, I was working with eating disorder patients years ago at a hospital. One of the things I would do when I was finished working is I would go and I was a rocker. So I would go to the, um, to where the preemies were and I would rock. These were, these were unfortunately, they were crack babies or they were babies with fetal alcohol syndrome and they mm. needed somebody to hold them because they needed connection or they would have what they call failure to thrive, which can be very dangerous for them as human beings. And so, you know, I think we all go sometimes through this failure to thrive when we isolate ourselves from the other people and, and, and the gifts other people have to give us. Now, Michael, two amazing stories, but I just want to rewind back a little bit because I'm yes. curious, you know, yes. tell me a bit more about the experience. What does it feel to be struck by lightning? I know you say- What it feels if you're struck you. by lightning? <laughs> um, it, well, I have to tell you this, you don't confuse it with anything. It's not like, oh yeah, that's like when I get struck by lightning. It's an experience all in all. It, it felt like a really bad cramp. 
the feeling of electricity going through your body is kind of hard to describe, but you would know it if you, it's kind of like if you stick your finger in a socket or something and get shocked, but it's like way more than that. And it goes through really, really fast. I mean, it was out before I noticed it, but I knew it happened. I mean, I was quite aware that something had kind of tingled me inside a whole lot. So that was a really interesting kind of story, you know, but you know, I, you know, I did the race. It was an amazing race. Um, I, you know, I had, it was interesting going in because you know how you don't know what you don't know. And, and oftentimes people do amazing things because they don't know what they can't do. Um, I was a poster child for that. When I, 10 weeks outside of the race, all I'd been doing, I had no idea how to train. I mean, I know what I was doing. I was 56 years old. I mean, my body's not designed to do this stuff. And I was having one overuse injury after another. If there had been a fourth discipline called rehab, I would have killed it because that's where I was most of the time. 10 weeks before the race, I had never ridden a bike more than 35 miles in my entire life, even though in 10 weeks, I was gonna to have to ride a bike 112 miles after swimming 2.4 miles, but before running 26.2 miles. So um, I was seeing one of my doctors and he had a professional triathlete that he was working with. And he said to her, he said to me, why don't you go talk to her? So I explained my story and it was very clear that I needed adult supervision at that point. And so she took me under her wing and the 10 weeks was just brutal training. Um, but I was, you know, you're so committed, you know, if you've ever been in one of these situations where you have a dream and you're just so invested and all of your energy, it's just like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'm so far into it. I mean, when the race started, it was an out of body experience. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, that moment you have sometimes where it's like, this is real. Like, this, like, you're, like, this is it. Like, you know, there is no more preparation. This is game on. And what happened was none of my times, there are cutoffs. And none of my times beat the cutoffs. But there was this magic that happened during the day. You know, the, um, there are, in, in town, there were 20,000 people. They were six deep. I mean, it was, it's just the energy. You, it was palpable. You could feel this energy. Off mm -hmm. I go. I don't know if I'm going to finish the swim. I do. I get on my bike. And for the first eight hours or so, I'm thinking about, look at these people. I can't believe I'm out here with these people. About eight or nine hours into the race, this little voice said, you are these people. What are you talking about? You're here. You see, I mean, you're not, they're not leaving. You're, you're, you see them around. <laughs> you're, you're one of them. And so, and so off I go. I, I get to the, I, I, you know, I finish the swim, I get to the run, all of a sudden the time began to work and I finished. And it was just, it was overwhelming. It was just an amazing, I cried for two days. I mean, I just didn't know emotionally what had happened to me. About a week afterwards, I went into a deep depression. I, I was just sitting on a, in town and all of a sudden this, little, this whole feeling came over me. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I called my coach. She said, it's, post, it's called post Ironman syndrome. She said, you just spent months toward one focus. It's like going to the hospital and you're pregnant, but you didn't get a baby. You have a hat and a shirt and a medal and a story but mm. of course people don't understand what you went through. The average person never going to do this thing. Of course you do. Coming have you thought about, yeah, I was going to say, have you thought about maybe contacting some of the other, other uh, contestants? 
well, I had, and they could understand to an extent, but you know, you, your experience is so unique because it's an amazing kind of sport because you're with other people, but it's an incredibly supportive environment. The athletes are so encouraging one another because we all know what each other is going through. We're in, we're in this very unique sort of group that most people will never, ever know anything about. So we have an enormous amount of respect and appreciation. It's the only athletic competition I know where the person who finishes dead last is a hero because they, most of the time they just make it right under the wire. I mean, you know, they've been out there for 17 hours and a minute to go. Some people will miss the cutoff by seconds and it doesn't count. It's a pass fail course and you don't, you know, you don't get the designation. I mean, I think you have the accomplishment, but you don't get the designation. Mm. It was so amazing that I just said, this is too amazing to have one time. I have to do this again. Off I go, hooked. off I go 2008. Now, meanwhile, I've discovered that I have a torn rotator cuff. And, and, and so I go to the doctor. He said, you have a torn rotator cuff. I thought he said cuff. I didn't even know what he meant. I said, well, is that bad? He goes, that's not good. I said, well, I'm sorry. I got this race I'm training for. We're going to have to talk about this later. So I do the first two with a torn rotator cuff. I get, I get in the water the second one I'm in, and it's raining. Well, the two years before I freaked out because it was rainy. It was a beautiful day. And I said, you know, let's, you know, you begin to learn, you begin to learn, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. So often we do that when we're trying to accomplish a goal, we start making up stories in our head. Well, what if mm. this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this person says that? Or what if this person responds that way? Reality cannot match our imagination. We can imagine anything. And for some reason that I'm just not wise enough to figure out, in the absence of not knowing, people love to make up bad outcomes. I'm like, why don't you make up something good? That's not true either, but it feels a lot better. Yeah. Or, you know, you know how they say no news is good news. No news is no news. It's not good or bad. It's just no news. So here I go into this thing. I had learned the year before, a couple of years before, because I, I said, well, I'm going to do it in two years, give myself a year to sort of get myself back going again. Come out of the water. It's not, it's still raining. I, I, go, I go in to change and I, it's a quagmire. There's mud in the changing area. I get on my bike. I'm soaked to the bone within minutes. And and if you've ever been in one of those, the, those rains where it's so bad you have to pull your car off the side of the road, that's how it's raining. I mean, it's just pouring and it's coming down so hard that it feels like people are throwing pebbles at you it's the it's the water bouncing off the pavement now i'm 112 miles i, I have seven and a half hours of this nonsense to do and i'm just you know i'm like what are you going to do i mean where are you going to go this is mentally the most difficult day i've ever had in my life it's mentally just unbelievable it's so it's, it's so difficult. I don't know what to do. Um, I'm not, I don't want to quit. You know, again, you're so invested. You don't want to do that. It's getting, it's, it's, you know, it's pouring rain and it's up raining five and a half inches in 13 hours, but that's okay. Cause it's also 60 degrees Fahrenheit and I'm freezing to death and, and, you know, and you're, and you're wearing ba basically nothing, you know, when, even if you were, it wouldn't matter because you're soaked to the bone. I finished, I finished with the bike. I beat the cutoff by 15 minutes. That's 15 minutes where being disqualified. Mm. I start on the run, change into my running clothes. That's good because I'm dry for five minutes. 
I get out on the run course and um, I don't realize it at the time, but I'm now, um, I'm becoming hypothermic and I'm becoming hypoglycemic and um, I start to hallucinate. I see like, like concrete bunkers in the middle of the road. There's no concrete bunkers, you know. I come into town, I, I'm getting ready to go out for the next 13 miles, which is emotionally difficult on a good day. This is just unbelievable. And I said to my wife, I don't know if I'm going to finish, but I'm not going to quit. And so off I go. It's what they call an out and back. So you turn around and come back. I'm about an hour and a half from the, the race, the day being over. I mean, the cutoff is in about 90 minutes and I've had it. I am shot. My body is just not, I'm walking barely. And it's amazing how you'll have these moments in your life where unrelated kinds of things come together in a moment. Because you know what happens is the way change happens for human beings is change happens in an instant. The steps leading up to change can take a long time. But sort of the decision that um, I'm going to start a business, that's in a moment. You know, you make that decision. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to school. Um, I'm going to ask that person to marry me. Um, I'm going to move. You know, those changes, the, the steps may be a long time, but the change happens in an instant. So here I am, I'm walking, and numbers of things happened at the same time. The first thing that happened was I saw a sign. The race is held on a, sad, on, on a Sunday. And the sign simply said, don't make a decision today you'll regret on Monday. Meaning that no matter how tired you are today, after a good night's sleep, you're going to feel better. And what I was dealing with is one of what I call the three unresourceful states. There's three states where we don't make decisions very well. One is when we're frightened. The other is when we're angry. And the third is when we're fatigued. And so I was in the third one where I was just, my body was just shot. I was not really thinking clearly. So I said, okay, don't, don't make a rash decision, whatever you do. Then I saw, then I, something came to mind that my coach had said to me. Um, I had gotten tendonitis in both knees six weeks before the race, and I was really compromised in my training. You know, not that at 58, you really need to train much. You can just kind of show up at 58. So my training wasn't going very well the last six weeks, so my conditioning was deteriorating. And I said to my coach, do you think I can finish? And all she said was, if you, if you think you can, you will. If you want to, you will. And I'm like, okay, I want to. I want to. And then the last thing that happened, we've been in a church service the night before, and the priest was an Iron Man. He said, some good things are going to happen to you tomorrow, but they're not going to last. I thought, well, that's motivational. Thank you for that. I'll have to carry that with me on race day. Mm -hmm. But then he said, but some bad things are going to happen to you, and they're not going to last either. So often when we hit a rough patch, it's just a matter of working our way through it. So many times people get derailed and it's, you just got to stick with that. And then the last thing that happened was there is a trailing vehicle that picks up the stragglers because they know they're not going to finish the race. I hadn't, I had heard about this vehicle. I'd never actually seen it in a race. I saw that vehicle. I said, that's not going to happen. I got mad. I said, that is not, no way are you coming to get me. I haven't been out in this misery this long. Here we go. Same thing as in the water. Let's come up with a plan. And mm -hmm. I said, there were two people ahead of me. I said, let's go get them. You know, a lot of times when we get stuck and we want to get unstuck, 
what I tell people to do is just come up with a little something you can do different. Just a little something, not, not, a, not a, a, big, a big goal, not a goal with 15 parts to it. Just do a little something different. Just, just do, you know, you're having a hard time losing weight. Just change what you're eating a little bit today. Just a little bit. Don't, don't adjust everything. That's overwhelming for people. Two people caught those people. There were five more ahead. I said, go get them. I'm starting to move. Five, 15, 20, 25. I think I passed about 35 people. I finished with about 15 minutes to spare, but I finished. And that's one of my favorite races of all my races. I mean, I love my races like I love my kids. I love them all differently for different reasons. But the ones where I've had to dig the deepest, those have been the ones where I've learned, have learned the most, where I've had the most kind of lessons. Because when you have an experience that forces you to go inside of yourself to a place you didn't even know was there, and you reach that point, you own something at that point. You own a mental strength that no one can ever take from you that you have that there in your toolkit when you want to use it. My ability to focus and block out distractions, it's strong because I've had to do that so many times over and over and over again. Just work, work that muscle, work that muscle, that muscle of focus, that muscle of determination of being able. I mean, I've, I've raced in 95 degree weather, freezing rain, cold, and everything but an earthquake and snow is the only thing that's missing right now. And all those things together, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the mental conditioning that I have right now had that not been possible. What I like about all this is you've got a lot of great stories from your personal experiences and you're able to throw in, you know, the analogies to it with, you know, some inspirational, you know, yes, yeah. I mean, takeaway each, points. Yeah. Each one of them has one, you know, I remember, um, this is the other thing that happens when you've been through a rough time and you have another, and you have adversity strike you again, you have basically a perspective that you wouldn't otherwise have 2014, I'm back for, oh, I don't know. It must have been the fifth one or something. Um, I decided in 2010 that I had had rotator cuff surgery. I was healthy. I trained healthy the whole time. I had my best race. I said, this is it. Three of these was a wonderful experience. Our youngest daughter at the time had started doing triathlons. Dad, will you do one with me? How can you tell <laughs> your kid no? Okay. But then I'm not going to do any more. Two years later, can we just do one more? Okay, that's my last one. Then my son-in-law shows up. Can you train me to do one? Now we're just into a thing. At that point, I'm like, you know what? I don't even believe me anymore. But in 2014, it's another one of those weird kind of days. You know, by now the weather is what the weather is. I mean, I'm not worried about that anymore because I have no control over it. So it's one of those weird days. We don't know if it's going to be cloudy or sunny. And then finally I start the race. I have, you know, I have smoke goggles, clear goggles. I'm going back and forth. Oh, look like it's going to be sunny. I put them on. I have earplugs in. The race itself is very unique in Lake Placid. The swim course has a cable, a metal cable that you can follow. So you can swim in a dead straight line. And so racers really covet being on that cable. Now, not everybody can get on there, but if you can, it's a, it's a fast trip. I'm on the cable. I have earplugs in. And there are kayaks and canoes out there in case people get in trouble. So I'm coming back on the second loop. I'm almost finished. And a kayaker starts coming toward me. He's kind of pushing me off of the, I'm starting to get annoyed because he's pushing me off the cable. I go back on, he pushes me. I stop, 
take my airplane, what's going on? He said, lightning just hit the lake, everybody out. I thought, oh great, well if lightning hits again, at least they'll kill 2,000 of us. I, you know, I won't die with friends, I'll, I'll die with friends this time, I won't die alone. Off I go, I'm like a flying fish going to the shoreline. I mean, I wish they had a clock on me because I was killing it. We get there, it's pouring rain. Now remember, I've been through rain. There are people that drop out of the race, me, I'm going to the transition area going, this is not rain, I've seen rain. I mean, it's like 70 degrees, this is no big deal. I can see blue sky, this is no problem at all. So I had a huge advantage over people because I had suffered. And I, mm -hmm. and I, had, and I had basically been able to overcome all that suffering. And so I had this ability to put that in perspective that I didn't otherwise have. So every time that happens, you know, I, I came up with a strategy that, you know, this was going to be the big year because um, I was aging up to be the baby in the 70 to 74 age group. So I was all excited. So, you know, they've taken the races away. So I guess I'll just be a toddler next year at 71. So, I mean, I can't be the baby anymore, but I'll be a toddler. So I developed a strategy that I was gonna start doing half Ironman races because I had discovered quite by accident in 2016 that I was not a participant anymore, that I was actually a competitor. I finished second in my age group, totally out of the blue, totally surprised me. And so, here I go in 2017, Lake Placid is now introduced to half Ironman. I'm like, this is perfect. I train on the course all summer. I know it like the back of my hand. It's half the distance, half the wear and tear. This will be fantastic. What was not fantastic was the Canadian high that had decided to move into the area one week before that had dropped the temperature in the lake to about 61 Fahrenheit and the, and the air temperature into the mid 30s Fahrenheit. I, th this is not the kind of what I have prepared for. I go in the swim, it's freezing, I'm freezing. I get out of the water, I can't feel my hands. Normally if you're in transition, it's you know five, eight minutes to get on. I'm in transition for 25 minutes. I think my wife thinks I'm dead or something. Mm. I come out of transition, there are 30 people behind me. I am, I am like 30th from the dead end of the entire field. This is embarrassing, I'm not that bad. So what do we do again? This is, I go back to my lessons, you know, here's a surprise that happened. You know, sometimes things get a lot worse before they get better. People will start a business and they'll struggle. You know, somebody, you know, maybe their marriage didn't get off to a good start. Um, maybe, you know, you moved to a new place and you didn't know anybody, but you made great friends. I mean, all kinds of things can happen to you where it doesn't start that well. And I thought, okay, it didn't start off that well. What do I do? I stay focused and come up with a plan because I've learned how to do that. So my plan was my strongest of the three disciplines is the bike. And I know this, I know this race course like the back of my hand. I've been over thousands of miles I've ridden on this course. So off I go and I said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna count people. Let's see how many people you can pass. 50, 100, 200. By the time I get into town, I pass 350 people on the bike and I'm rolling. I get into the transition on the, on the run, by the end of the race, I passed 650 people and I made the podium. And the reason was because I looked at this and it's like what, what adversity does is adversity basically reveals character. Adversity really shows you who you really are. It's really easy to talk about what you might do or what you could do if things got tough. But when things are tough, what are you going to do? 
And just that ability to stay focused and to realize, you know, if things were going to get better, I was going to have to get them better. They weren't going to get better by themselves. You know, I wasn't going to be a, a passive participant in that race. But so often in our lives, you know, we use words like, you know, I should and I ought to and, you know, and I really meant to. That's a very confusing signal to your brain. Your brain thinks in two ways. It thinks conceptually or it thinks logistically. So when you tell your brain something like, you know, I really need to do something about that. I really need to get in shape. I really need to lose weight. I, I, I really need to ask for that raise. I, I, really, I really need to start that business. I really need to make that move. Your brain's like, well, let me know when you have a plan because I don't know what you're talking about. If you say, I'm going to this way. I'm going to win. Now that's the logistical part and your brain can start putting together a plan. So I did not say, I hope I pass some cyclists. I said, I'm passing cyclists. Let's get the plan going right now. I mean, it's, it's your brain. It does what you say. It works for you. So, but it, but it does what you tell it to do. So many times people come to me and they'll say, you know what? I really don't think that's going to happen. I'll say to them, then it probably won't because you just set a negative goal, which your brain is more than happy to carry out. You know, it's going to be really hard to get in shape. And every time I try to get in shape and I tell myself how really hard it is. And, you know, after about two weeks, I'm really discouraged. Okay, mission accomplished. There's so many stories here and so many of them can be very easily relatable to business, right? You've been in coaching business for 30 years. So yes. overcoming adversity is, is one great example. Have you got any good good examples from you know your coaching from you know coaching sure, business owners? Sure, I mean I would you know I I I would start with a couple of stories that happened in my own business. You know I yep. started the business 40 years ago in 1989 and 1990. We had a uh, recession in the on the East Coast, and um, it particularly hit the real estate industry. I was very heavy into the real estate industry at the time, and so what happened was. I um, basically lost in the course of a, of a week about 60% of my clients temporarily. Now, we had two little kids at the time. My wife was a stay-at-home mom, and like I was it. And so, once again, you get focused in a hurry about what's going to happen. And so, another thing I do is I do corporate outplacement. So, when companies have to lay people off or part ways with them, they bring me in and I work with the people that are leaving. I realized I had not developed my, that part of my business enough. So what I did was I got going, got that part of my business up and running. And when we had the big financial crisis in 2008, 2009, I had my best two years because basically a lot of people were losing jobs and here I was ready to help them out. So, you know, you figure out what happens from you and you learn from the adversity. And when I think about my clients, some of the things that have happened with my clients, I just, you know, one of the things I do, I spend a lot of time working um, with leaders of organizations, you know, some presidents or CEOs or those kind of people. And there's a phrase that it's lonely at the top, it really is lonely at the top for people. You know, they often do things that people don't appreciate. They have a lot of people that are complaining about one thing or the other. And it's, it's kind of like parenting, you know. I mean, if your kids say once in a while, thanks, it's not a bad idea, you know. But, you know, a lot of times going to complain and tell you what you didn't do or what they didn't get or what they don't have, you know. Um, 
I remember getting really upset with my daughter, my old, my eldest daughter, when she was younger. I said to her, I said to her, you have no idea how good you have. She said, no, because you made it good. Why are you mad at me? I thought, wow, that was, that, that was point, that point game set match all in one stroke. <laughs> nicely, nicely done. Nicely done, Rachel. Very good. Very good. So what happens a lot of times is that I find that when, when people are in a position of leading organizations and they get stuck, it's because they're not able to sort of get up at 30,000 30, feet and take that longer view and basically have the patience and the focus to be able to say, okay, one step at a time. And again, what I'm able to do is when they get stuck, I go in and say, okay, tell me a story about a time you got unstuck. I, I don't even care what this, the, the topic's gonna be. Just tell me a story. I mean, I was working with an attorney a lot long ago is having uh, trouble finishing a couple of, of key projects that he needed to get done. And the, one of the partners had asked me to come in and talk to him. And I said, tell me about a time you've really been successful. His entire tone changes. He said, two years ago, I lost 150 pounds and I kept it off. I said, what does that feel like? Well, I'm really proud of myself. And what does it feel like to be able to sustain that? You know, it does a lot for my confidence. Because, you know, confidence is really the sort of conversation we have with ourselves about what we perceive as doable and possible. Confidence is a byproduct of options. The more options you have to do anything, the more likely you are to feel confident you can accomplish the task. So I will oftentimes say to somebody, make a list of all the things you could do, even some things you probably won't do, but you could do, you know, I don't like my job. Well, you could just quit and not work anymore. Well, I'm not going to do that, yeah, but you could. I mean, you won't, but, but you could. So what, I, what happens is when you look at the success, you say, okay, hmm. When I had that obstacle, in this case of losing the weight, let's say, when I had that obstacle of losing the weight, how did you do that? Focus just a little bit at a time. What if we took this project and focus just a little bit at a time? Because that seems to work for you. I mean, I basically find out, you know, kind of what's your secret? And we'll just use that. We'll just transfer that part that you already have. Because so often when people that I'm working with hit a roadblock, they think, well, I have to kind of reinvent the wheel. No, because success leaves clues. There's always clues in success. We can go back. Most of the time, unfortunately, we learn two things from success. That I like it and I want more. And that's pretty much the lesson. It's like, no, no, dig deeper. There's more things there. We are all what's called blind to our own excellence. Nobody knows what it's like to be as good as we are. I remember in the 2014 Ironman when we were, when we were uh, going to register, because these are just incredibly fit human beings. I mean, you know, Lake Placid for a weekend is the healthiest place on earth. And these people are just kind of strutting their stuff. And I remember looking at my youngest daughter, Jane, and I said, look at all these people. They just think they're badass. And Rachel looked, Jane looked at me and she said, Dad, we are badass. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I kind of forgot. Sometimes we forget how bad we really are. You know, we're really something. You know, we're really. So, you know, to get somebody to look at when they were really something, what did you do that was really wow? And maybe you didn't think it mattered to the rest of the world, but that was your success and you owned that. And you know, in the case of the weight, you lost that and you can't that up because you can focus and you can sustain and you can complete what you start. So oftentimes we tell ourselves myths about ourselves, you know, 
had a had a parent that sent their their um, I think she was maybe 22 or 23 and she said our daughter can't find a job because she's not organized and she's never on time so to demonstrate that she shows up for our appointment about 10 or 15 minutes late which means she got 10 or 15 minutes left time than she would have otherwise so we start talking and she said to me you know I'm not going to be able to be successful I think my parents might have told you I can't ever be on time I'm disorganized Tell me about, tell me some things about yourself, I asked her. Well, it turns out she was quite an athlete. As a matter of fact, she went, uh, she was, went to college on a full scholarship. I think she played field hockey or something. Was all conference, was the team captain. And I said to her, I've never heard of that before. And she said, what do you mean? I said, a team captain that never shows up on time. I was never late. I said, sure you were, because you told me you can't ever be on time. No, no, I was on time. I said, oh, so you actually, you can be on time. And you were the captain for like two years running and you're disorganized, not disorganized. I was like, you just told me you were. So what we were able to do was basically just, I was able to show her those were myths that she was telling herself. Those were false beliefs that she bought into. They really weren't true. You know, mm. could she be late sometimes? We well, don't be late sometimes, you know. But, and from then on, she was early. She was already for the appointment. And then her confidence skyrocketed because she just realized she'd been giving herself messages about herself that weren't true. And She's so become... often we do that. I mean, so often we have these limiting beliefs about who we are and what we can accomplish and what we can make happen in our lives. And they're not true. And they're not true. And the opportunity to basically just just destroy those myths. It's incredible, you know, to watch that. I mean, I get so excited watching my clients' success. It's just such an amazing feeling to just watch people achieve. I mean, I get, you know, when I don't race, on the years I don't race, I volunteer. And I get just as excited helping those people get to that finish line. We love to do what we call saves. That means an athlete comes to our transition, I mean, to our, to our aid station, and they're going to quit. And we get them back in the race we adopt them. They become one of ours. I mean, I've actually had them over the years and they, they, they have a name. They, they, they call us iron angels when we get them back in the race. And it's, and, and, and I get almost in, in its own way, as much satisfaction from that is my own race. You know, I mean, I love the race. I love to race. I, I love to be out there. I, I, I love to be able to be this fit to just be able to do it, to just be able to have the experience now, because at this point it's about the experience. I, you know, it's about the experience and the lessons I'm going to learn, you know, because those are the kinds of things that really stick with us as human beings. You know, it's not what happens. It's, you know, what do we learn from what happens? What are the connections we make to other human beings? You know, what are the lessons that we can share? I mean, those are the things I think that really matter. Yeah, that's priceless. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the kind of thing, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, when all is said and done, all we, all we really have are relationships. That's it. You know, I mean, you know, there, you know, you know, you're, you're not taking this stuff with you anywhere. I mean, so it's like, you know, that's one of the things that's happened is when people were forced to like, to sort of like slow down, we began to change from human doings back into human beings. You know, suddenly people were reaching out to people they hadn't reached out for just to say, are you doing okay? You know, how, how are you doing? You know, and then I think, I, I hope that we keep that part when we come out of this. You know, I hope we keep that being part again. I mean, I, you know, I, I hope we're able to, to learn those kinds of things because this has been a great opportunity for people, if they wanted to be, to learn valuable lessons about themselves. You know, just Absolutely. to really slow down, you know. I mean, I just think we get so busy. 
know, we just get so busy with ever, whatever we're busy doing. I mean, what I mean, we're just so, I mean, think of the question we ask, what are you doing? You know, what did you do? You know, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing tomorrow? Doing, doing, doing. And how often do we say, how are you? Just how are you? You know, how are, how are you doing? I mean, really just to see, you know, just to see what's behind that person, just, just, just to connect with them. I mean, that's what gives value and meaning to your life for these connections. Are the other things great? They're wonderful. I mean, they're, they're wonderful. Is success in business great? Yes. Yeah, success as a human being, I think it's much more effective though. You know, is it, you know, isn't it? It's not like the ones with the most toys at the end wins. I mean, that's not, that's not the deal, you know. I mean, do we do that? Yeah, we can walk around and have envy and jealousy of what other people have, or we can look and say, you know what? Like, what do I have? What, what works for me? What's, you know, what's, you know, what's the special things in my life? It's not that we don't aspire. I think our life as human beings is a search for more. I think it's always going to be a search for more. More time, more love, more money, more friends, more wisdom, more understanding, more patience. It's, it's always going to be, and I, I think that's fine. I think that, I think it's the achieving and, and the aspiring that really is, is what really gives our life the meaning. I mean, once you accomplish it, you know, you know, the, the relationships I made, I, you know, the training for the races is, I just have some of the funniest stories, the most fun I have training for the races, you know, falling off my bike, getting lost. I mean, it's just fun stuff, you know, it's really, you know, just the thing, you know, didn't think we could do that, but we did that. I mean, it's just the camaraderie and those kinds of things, you know, the friends I've made in the sport. I mean, it's just wonderful, you know. Michael. You've got a program for anybody listening um, for this last hour. It's been, you know, it's been very inspirational listening to your stories and who knows, some of the listeners might now be, you know, enrolling into the next Iron Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> or the but, next thing in their life that is their Iron Man. You know, what is their, what is their next big goal? That's know? right. That's right. And with, with, your, uh, with your business coaching for anybody listening and who is interested to, to know more about it, you've got a program, I believe, uh, a signature keynote, Iron Lessons. Is that right? Yeah, Iron Lessons. Iron Lessons is my, that's my sort of my signature story that I tell. It, it includes some of the stories that we've been talking about today, where I mentioned those kinds of things. But my, my coaching, you know, my, my website, go to the number two, G-O, go to ctsonline.com. Go to CTS. And people can, can, can um, connect with me that way. And uh, also LinkedIn, Michael Bryan on LinkedIn. And so you can find me that way. And, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed because I think people are so fascinating. You know, this conversation we're having right now, if you and I were at a party, I would, I would want to know all about you. Tell, tell me about what you're doing. Because I just find, I think people are so fascinating. I think yeah. everybody has a story to tell. And I just love to hear their stories. Absolutely. You know? And to add to that, um, even though you've probably talked 99% of this <laughs> episode today, I do want to say, you know, um, the reason I was, you know, I didn't want to, you know, jump in because I was just, I was just really enjoying your story. And so for anybody listening out there, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, this is the power of being a good listener. I mean, sometimes you just got to shut up and listen because there's yeah. a story, there's a wisdom and you can learn from it. So it's been, a, it's been amazing to have you on the show today, Michael, and I'm sure we could, we could go on for a, for, for <laughs> sure for another hour at least. So, you know, <laughs> Why don't we look at maybe getting you on another episode soon? I would but, love to. 
I would, I would love, I would love to tell some more of those stories and some, and some more of those lessons. There's always more story. And I look forward to my next races and the new stories that are going to happen because there's always going to be more. So yes, I, I'd love to come back. So thank you so much for having me. Been a pleasure. Now, so when is your next race? So we don't know now because no, no, my, right? still in the my, shutdown, my Iron Man, my Iron Man was just canceled. They just canceled Iron Man for for um, for June. So, but my body, my body this time of year expects to train. So I'm training. You know, my my Good. body. My, it wants the training and that's what it needs it's kind of on a it's kind of it kind of goes it kind of goes to sleep in the fall wakes up at the end of the winter and it kind of it's, it's just sort of like where is it so you know i was deep into my training for an iron man so i i sort of throttled it back a little but but still i'm doing that and so when when we get up to lake Placid at the end of june now um, they might sneak one back in in the fall i don't think so i'm really thinking 2021 is when it's mm. going to happen again because so far you know they've the world championship has been postponed to February. They're going to have two of those next year. So, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I'm, 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 I guarantee there's, there's more adventures yet to come. There's, there's going to be, there'll, there'll be other stories. <laughs> All right. Well, sure. we, we'll, we'll keep an eye out on that and uh, we'll, we'll touch base and see where we're at for, for me, uh, for us over here in Australia, we're actually starting to see a bit of a, you know, a, a, a a reduction in the restrictions, but um, you know, I'm sure it, it's just a matter yeah. of time before it's, it's yes. everywhere where else. Where we're going, there's very, very, very few cases where we're going. I mean, mm. minuscule amounts. So we're going to a very, very safe place where we get to do our favorite things. My wife and I, which is bicycling and run. So we'll be doing that. <laughs> More of that to come. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Michael. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to talk to you soon again. Thank you. Thank you so much. You be well, Vince.